Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter. That's right, it's still Twitter to me, at Braden Gall. You pronounce all the T's in Twitter. Uh, <laughs> my name is Michael Gallagher, Nashville Hockey Now. You can follow me on Twitter at MG Sports underscore. Say what, what way? Whiskey <laughs> is the safe word. Whiskey. Uh, joining us on the show today from AP Radio, of course, as well as It's All Your Fault from the Nashville scene in the Nashville Post. Jeremy K. Gover, the K stands for knowledge. How are you, sir? I'm great, man. Thank you so much uh, for having me on this. I'm very excited to talk about all the things we're talking about, and you can follow me on Twitter at It's Gover Time. I did not mean for it to now be a thing on the show. <laughs> Everyone's going to say that. Um, say what, what way? Uh, okay. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Hot Rod, very underrated movie, very underrated movie. Go check it out. Uh, okay. So today on the show, we, we we got thinking about this. There was a lot of discussion in Nashville sports media and fans two or three weeks ago when Messi came to town and played. And I got into a discussion with Teresa Walker, who got in discussions with everybody about the Predators role in sort of the greatest athletic moments, the greatest athletic, um, the greatest athletes in the history of the world to come play in Nashville. What are some of those moments uh, in terms of the Preds and how do they fit? Michael and I kind of got into like a quick five to seven minute like off the cuff conversation about it and i thought no 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 we need to bring in a a, a true historian of nashville predators hockey and have a longer form discussion about our most memorable moments in nashville predators history in the city of nashville but also what are the most important moments in franchise history in both the city of nashville and elsewhere and of course we would love you guys to chime in on twitter so make sure you send us uh, all your, your your personal favorites uh, you can obviously rate, review, subscribe to the show and rate and review to all of our our memories of, of Predators hockey as well. So some things are really, really critical and important off the ice. Some things are just purely fandom that we remember because we happen to be in the building for something really special that we remember. And I'm sure all of you out there have lots of those. So would love to hear from you guys. Uh, a lot of my dates, by the way, end in 17. Just want to point that out. Um, <laughs> so uh, we're going to do all that on the show today. However, we've been doing this kind of three-part series, a month-long series, looking at how to evaluate David Poyle. And I'm going to ask you, Michael Gallagher, what you learned through this process. I'll give you what I learned. And then we'll ask Jeremy Kagover how he evaluates uh, David Poyle long-term, short-term, both of those. Before we do, however, the podcast, The Gold Standard, is brought to you by... Jaspers. Jaspers. Ooh, that was sultry. <laughs> Michael, do you want to try to out-sultry Jeremy K. Gover? <laughs> I don't. Me, I, uh, I, I give him the voice, sultry Michael. crown. <laughs> I want to hear your sexy voice, Gallagher. <laughs> this is it. I, I pretty much have one voice that stays monotone the entire time. Yankees win the World Series or go to Jaspers. All the sounds exactly the same. Sounds exactly the same. Go to Jaspers. Uh, the, the parking is free. The food is great. The game room is awesome. Uh, so go check it out. You guys know the drill. Uh, they've got all kinds of great stuff. And the Gold Standard Cocktail, named after this year's podcast, is there. Something for everybody. Flatbreads are my favorite. I know uh, Gallagher's a big fan of the flatbreads and the burgers as well. I love letting my children go into the game room so that my wife and I can have a nice meal. And then Jaspers babysits them. There's there's not it's not legal, of course, but like whatever they do it anyway. Um, that's just the kind of place that they are. So go to Jaspers, everybody. All right. So if you missed the episodes, go back and check them out. And that is how to evaluate David Poyle historically on his ability to make trades. We learned a few things there. How, how to evaluate David Poyle historically on drafting, draft classes, draft picks, hits and failures. Not as many failures in the first round at all, actually. Um, how do we evaluate him there? That's an episode. And then contracts. Signing free agents, contract extensions was is a bigger problem for him. And, and of course, the coaching hires and fires. So, Michael, through this exercise, you've written about it. You can follow along on Nashville Hockey Now. Through all of this exercise, real quickly before we get into all these memorable moments in Predators history, what did you learn? What do you, Did you change your mind about anything after doing the exercise? No, nothing really changed my mind. I think I just kind of came to the consensus, and I think we all agree on this, that he would be remembered more fondly if he retired two or three years ago than he did now. But I mean, look, there, there's, he's not going to get credit for a lot of the good things he did because of the recency effect with a lot of the issues the fans have had. But I think five, 10 years from now, when some of his later draft classes, they start becoming regular NHL players, 
the Predators start getting back to to being the the cup contender they that they thought they were. Barry Trotz does a great job of building this team up, and Poyle picked him as his successor. I think there will be a lot. He'll be remembered a lot more fondly after that. But with some of the trades that he made, um, just some of the bad contracts that he handed out, I think that's kind of what fans remember the most because that's what happened most recently. But I, I do think the one thing I will say that was interesting to me was. Looking at, I think it was Nick Keezer did the five worst free agent signings uh, of his tenure. A lot of them, they weren't really that bad. Like there was not really one that you look at that was like a glaring, like, oh my God, I can't believe he did this. Matthew Lombardi was number one on that list. And that that was only a three-year, ten and a half million dollar contract and injuries happen. The Mike Ribeiro one, when we, and we had this discussion, uh, that wasn't a bad deal for on-ice performance. That might've been his best deal if you're talking about value for on-ice performance, but the player, the person who Mike Ribeiro was, that made that bad. Then you look at Victor Stahlberg and stuff and it's just, he ne- he doesn't really have like a glaring, like, oh my God, I can't believe, he doesn't have a Brock <clears throat> Matt Duchesne. contract. Yeah. Matt Duchesne, <clears throat> Matt Duchesne it's hard it's hard to sit there and say that the guy has no, he owns know, the record for the single season goals in predators franchise history like it's hard to, to nitpick on that but most uh, most was, guitar, most guitars owned by a national predator matt duchene there you go but other than that like i, I don't think he was as I, I will say reflecting i don't think he was as good as a lot of people remember him but i don't think he was as bad as a lot of people are going to remember him so yeah i think what, I think that's smart. And I go over. I want to ask sort of your general reaction to this, because I think it's hard. It's I think it's fairly simple. The, the the broad strokes of this for me is in the short term, people are going to be frustrated. He didn't retire earlier. It's going to be tied to Barry Trotz and Andrew Brunette and sort of the next phase and how these all these prospects develop. But that as time like and I use the 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 Buffalo Bills reference, I think is the perfect reference. You know, in the moment, they lost four straight Super Bowls and everyone thought, what a terrible organization. These guys suck. And I think 25 years later, we look at it and go, oh, my God, what an accomplishment. So I I think what's going to happen is David Poyle's career will age very gracefully and very well. And we are all going to look back and go, man, that dude was the winningest GM in NHL history. He's a Hall of Famer for a reason. And and he built this thing from scratch and and largely made a bunch of great moves. I think what I what I think I would take away from it is that he was very, very good at evaluating defensemen and goaltenders, not so much forwards and centers. We got that. That's also pretty standard. But he was really, really good at the high-risk big trades and not very good at the high-risk big contracts. And I think those are the two things that I kind of take away from it is that when he really did make a big, bold move, a trade, it generally worked out. He rarely missed on first-round draft picks, We, you know, ever, if ever. Maybe a couple guys that weren't very good, but largely, but largely they were all pretty darn good. And a lot of great middle-of-the-pack, team-friendly contracts, small contracts, some great trades fleecing other people. But when it got to the big-ticket free agent contract extensions, especially the extensions, you know, it just it's it's not that he was out of his 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 depth, but it just wasn't his strength. Was you know, eight years, sixty-four million, eight you know, seven years, fifty-six million. Like these just weren't the the big stuff from a contract extension standpoint, I think he was chasing his own tail, his own demons a little bit because I think the two worst decisions he's made in his career were probably trading for Kyle Turris following the cup run and hiring John Hines. And I think those two moves were all sort of tied to the fact that he was chasing the 17 cup team. Um, so anyway, that, that that's sort of what I took away. I, Jeremy, you're just, how do you think people should evaluate David Poyle, you know, very, very, very soon after his retirement? I think you give him a B plus if you're grading him for his longevity at just the National Predators. Now I can't comment on Washington, right? I I know they went to the Cup the year after he left for Nashville, right? I mean they got swept, but I mean I know he went. So I, I there's that, but I, I can't speak to that. It's just in Nashville itself as the National Predators general manager and director of hockey operations. David Poyle, in my book, gets a B plus. Not only did he last 25 freaking years, which is unheard of in pro sports, but especially with the original team that he built, but he's got a lot of gems along the way, right? He flipped Seth Jones, which is an abundance of, uh, it was a, a position of, of, of abundance as far as franchise defensemen go. He flipped that for Ryan Johansson. You can argue Ryan Johansson was never a top line center. That's fine. I'll hear that. But he took one thing that he had and he went out and addressed it to the, you know, to the position he could never quite draft. He did the best thing he could, which is go get, uh, uh, basically number one center for this team anyway, right? For a while. So he did that. 
but he's also got you know, he did the Shane Weber for PK Subban trade. Turned out great for both teams. Both teams went to the Stanley Cup final. Both teams, you would argue, were led by both of those players, right? So the, he's got a lot of great, uh, a lot of great resume highlights. But he's also got, you know, Mike Santorelli and Cody France and bringing them back for a first round pick and all yoke it just and then and then he called it going for it, which was a which is horrendous from the start. Okay, then he has the waving of Ellie Tolvanen, which I still place more at the feet of John Hines than I do at David Poyle because he, he can only go as far as his coach gives him. And if his coach says, I'm not playing him, you got to do something with him. No trade value. Okay, got to get him out of here. But that still falls to him to a degree. So you've got the waving of Ellie Tolvanen. So there's he's got his lumps as well. But I think overall longevity, winning as GM of all time, like you said, he is absolutely a, he's a U.S. Hockey Hall of Famer for sure. He's probably yep. a, an NHL Hall of Famer at some point. For me, he gets a B plus. Uh, just a tremendous, tremendous resume. I I think B plus is probably like a high B plus, like an eighty nine. Oh yeah, I mean I can't give him an A because he never won a cup, right? Yeah. I can't yeah. do that, and I can't give him an A because he never found that top forward in whatever way you want to slice and dice it. You could argue again, and I'll hear it. Philip Forsberg, right? He was he's a first round, a first uh, a top ten ranked guy in his draft class. Within a year of the draft, they trade for him. He shuffles out Marty Erat. Another highlight, by the way, shuffles out Marty Erat in favor of Philip Forsberg. Now you got a franchise winger, right? For you know, fifteen years, hopefully, sure. you've got that. You got he's he jettisoned Ryan Ellis for every, what everyone thought. What Nolan Patrick? They flipped him and they got Cody. Gla- what? How? Right now, and he, he's played what three games. And now he's going to retire. So he he got rid of him at the right time. There's so many different little things like that that people just forget about. So I think a solid B plus for me. Can't give him an A because he never won the big one and he only went to the cup once. But I I mean, wow, finding yeah. late round talent and the draft, all those things, just great. Yeah, I think all the big trades, almost every big trade other than Turris, turned out in like a lot of them. It takes a lot of balls to make some of those moves. To, oh, to, for sure. To, to trade some of the guys he did. And even the Ellis move, the Arvidsson, maybe the Arvidsson wasn't a great trade. I mean, I think we could nitpick the Fiala trade. But by and large, I think we, we I, I learned that for the most part, the whole like you don't want David Poyle calling you was, was still pretty true for most of his career. Uh, if you had to give it a grade, Michael, you could give it a number. You could give it a, a, a letter. I, I, I think I'm going like 88, I think is what I would do. Like on the, like on the uh, NHL 94 scale. He was like a like an Adam Graves, you know. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I think the B plus is pretty good. If he was a playable character on NHL 24, his his overall rating would probably be like an 87, 88, somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, I will say one thing I want to add in there. Uh, it didn't surprise me. I already knew this, but it's just kind of astonishing to hear going back and just looking at everything he did out of the 270 something players he drafted with the Predators, only six All Stars. When you put it that way, <laughs> but it also, I mean, you could also say that Are five kind of, of them strength. defensemen. Yes. I mean, no. that'd be right. Right. Four defensemen, no. one forward, one goalie. Right. If you I can name it, all, if you can name ev- all six predators, all stars that David Poyle drafted off the top of your head, I will, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll buy you a six pack. Of Pecorine, I win, I win Jaspers. I win Jaspers. Pe- yeah, 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 Pecorine, yeah. UC Sorrow, Seth Jones, Shea Weber, Roman Yossi, Ryan Suter. Well, I trust That's you. Sex. You did. You just did the work. I was asking. Go. For it. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know. You're looking at the screen and you're looking at both of us. So valid. Yeah, four Is defensemen, that- two goalies. Yeah, there you go. So no, fo- he has never drafted a forward that's ever even made an All Star game. Well, because Philip Forsberg, right? Is that he was their last forward that I can remember their last forward representative, but they didn't Damn. draft him. Man. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I just I hope you guys enjoyed that series. It is we wanted to get put down on paper, on paper, quote unquote, uh, sort of yeah. the the entirety of his body of work because I think right now people are certainly still going, man, thank goodness he stepped away. Might have been too late. Let's see what Barry Trotz does. It's very much insular the move to Barry Trotz. And so I think I think it's gonna I think his his career and the perception by the fans of his career will age very well. And eventually we're all gonna look back and just be like, what a dude. Uh, but I think it's going to take. He may have left too late, but he did leave the franchise in, in relatively good yeah. hands on the, on the way out. So yeah, and, and I don't think that's something I learned. I think that's something you kind of just know in sports that when something when somebody's close but pretty damn good, it's going to end frustratingly. But it's almost always going to sort of get better with time, and people will appreciate 
uh, more as time goes along. Okay. So I, I just want to, I want to have a, a longer meandering conversation about what are the most important moments in Predator's history, but because I think there's some off the ice stuff that matters. But this this conversation about Messi being the greatest athlete to ever compete in Nashville, and that that moment when Messi won a League's Cup for Inter Miami against Nashville SC, uh, won a trophy, won a championship. Technically, in soccer, they have more than you think, and <laughs> and, and 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 that it's. And that it was one of the greatest moments in in Nashville's professional sports history. Now, I think there's a lot of debate about how to how to how to define that. And for me, I kind of end up going very vague and general and saying, what am I what was I at in person? What did I see with my own two eyes that I will tell my children about? And and that messy match is absolutely one of those moments. And I think the two big sports moments that automatically are ahead of it are the Music City Miracle for the Tennessee Titans in 1999 in the first round of the playoffs that eventually lead them to the Super Bowl. And of course, game Colton Sisson's hat trick in game six of the 2017 Western Conference Finals. So I, we'll get to sort of the, the, more, the more objective view of these moments, the most important things, the most memorable, the greatest athlete, because again, Wayne Gretzky did in fact play in for in his last season in the Preds first season he played one game in Nashville and the gap five assists five he had five assists in that game yeah and he was like he was like 62 years old oh my god <laughs> oh my god I didn't know that he had, so that, I think that was like November of like 98 or whatever like it was he played one game but it's easy to say Wayne Gretzky might be relative to his own sport because he is so much greater than almost anybody else in hockey that Wayne Gretzky is the greatest athlete to ever play in the city of Nashville. I, Messi is from the amount of people that play soccer, which is like a hundred million times more than play hockey. Messi from a statistical probability standpoint that he becomes the greatest and does what he did in our city is significant statistically off the charts, more difficult than Gretzky. Also, who's a bigger figure worldwide? Who's a bigger figure with social media? Like Messi, Messi, Messi. Uh, Tom Brady's played here. Aaron Rodgers has played here. Patrick Mahomes has played here. There's been a, Peyton Manning played here a bunch. There's been a lot of great football players. They don't quite say, have the same gravitas as I think Messi or or Gretzky. So, in terms of greatest, just the things you would tell your kids about your personal moments that you have witnessed that are involve Predators hockey. I want you guys, we're going to give our personal favorites and our personal mo most memorable things. And then I want to get into a more objective conversation about the franchise. So who wants to go first? All right, Gallagher. Uh, I guess, I guess I'll do it. Um, yeah, I think, I think the thing that I remember that sticks out to me, um, and, I, and there's a lot of them, I'm sure we'll talk about most of them. Um, the three overtime winner against the Sharks in the playoffs was obviously one because that was my first year on the Preds beat. Um, that was my first time covering anything other than high school and college sports. So that was a pretty cool moment for me as a reporter to get to experience that. I was at Bridgestone arena until like two 30 in the morning. That wasn't fun, but, um, <laughs> that, that moment really stuck out. Obviously the, the, the Western conference clincher that kind of stuck out the first Stanley cup final game. But I think the, the one moment to me, and I, I, I like this cause I don't know if anyone else is going to mention this between the three of us that stood out to me was the game four sweep of the Chicago Blackhawks and listening to the Bridgestone Arena crowd chant sweep with as much anger and hatred as I've ever heard in anything. And I'm talking, you you take Ryan Suter booze and you multiply them by 100. The, the catharsis that was let out and exercised in that building with the torment that the Blackhawks fans put the Predators fans through for the, for the previous 20 years, basically, and not only did they knock out their division rival, not only did they just dominate them, they swept them. They kept them off the scoreboard pretty much every game. And the, they made the Blackhawks look like a JV team. And just I, I, that was a feel good moment for Predators fans, just because it's fun to watch a, a fan base that doesn't win a lot or is tormented by another fan base. Finally, get the monkey off their back and be able to be able to just like enjoy some happiness that they haven't been able to have before. So that, that, that one really stuck out in me. That was cool. They would, when I was trying to run after, you know, the final horn went off and they're yelling sweep and stuff. I'm trying to run to the elevator to get downstairs for post game. 
and you could feel the floors in Bridgestone Arena shaking from how just lively that building was. So that I think that was probably the one that sticks out to me the most. That's probably one I'll tell my kids about. I still have video on my phone that I was taking as I was running through the concourse of just just how elated fans were and just how much fun they were having and and it was just a lot of it was a lot of fun to be there because you finally got to see the hometown team finally break through it and do something that they hadn't been able to do before. So this is a really tough one, obviously, because I've got I've got a lot of I got I got a big resume with the Natural Predators, but I do want to have an honorable mention here before I say my my winner. The loudest I've ever heard Bridgestone Arena, other than of course Colton Sisson's hat trick and the Preds go to the Stanley Cup final, of course, okay, was as Gallagher just alluded to because he he said there was there was so much anger and vitriol against Chicago, right? And don't underestimate. I know you're, you're a sports fan, you get it, but don't underestimate a pow- how powerful anger and resentment can be (laughs) because the loudest i've ever heard the building was fueled by that it was on april 13th 2007 when jp dumont scored a shorthanded goal immediately following a period that had alexander radulov unrightfully got a game misconduct and thrown out of the game for checking from behind and again a player that came back that later that like like 10 minutes later they had a really bad Hooking or uh, let's see, is there a, a, really, a really bad roughing call on Ryan Suter a ma- immediately after that, which put him down two men, by the way. And then JP Dumont breaks up the ice shorthanded and scores at 10 26 the second period. And I could have swore the roof was going to blow off the place because there was so much anger in the building at the Sharks, at the officials, at everything. We're getting the raw end of the deal, you know, whatever. And just all of a sudden, Dumont scores the shorthanded goal and it just blows up. <laughs> so that's the, as that's the loudest I've ever heard of the building. Again, short of going to the Stanley Cup final, of course, in game seven of the Western Conference final against Anaheim. I think, you know, for me, it's got to be personal, right? And I created the sign of get your damn hands off my hockey team when for the rally, the save the team rally in uh, I think it was 2007. And so I was I came home from a job interview and I had about 10 minutes or so before my roommate was ready to go to the rally and I had a piece of foam core and some sharpies and i was like you know what i got about 10 minutes let me see if i can come up with something and i just it was almost not even me writing i don't even know where it even came from it just i just i wrote out the sign brought it to the rally ended up standing about three rows ish off the stage governor bredesen's wife at the time sees it pulls it up on stage and it becomes a rallying cry so it's completely personal and selfish but that is probably that is the one moment that i can tell my kids and my grandkids about that i personally had a stake in how the team was received was I was able to, I'm able to say that even though I didn't, again, I didn't write, it was a cosmic force, if you will, because I didn't come up with it and be like, Oh, I'm going to go home and write a sign with it. But I came up with that. I wrote that the, the first lady saw it and the rest, and it was in newspapers as far as Alaska, you guys, I remember getting alerts yeah. about it. And so it was pretty awesome. That's, that's my answer. I think, I think personal is the way to go in this part of the conversation, because we can get to the, Stuff that sort of means like yeah. again, that was what July 19th, 2007, uh, was the save the Preds rally in Bridgestone mm-hmm. Arena. So absolutely counts, even though it technically wasn't a sporting event. That's uh, right. By the by the way, here is a photo. I'm holding this up for those two, not for this is a photo of me and my wife. And if you look at the date, April 20th, 2017, standing down in the lower bowl, and that is the Chicago Blackhawks game number four. And what's funny about that is, and this is, I think, an interesting part of this conversation. I agree, and I would say that this counts for any sports, including Messi, including Titan Stadium, including, you know, final, like not final fours, but like NCAA tournament games at Bridgestone. Like you pick any sporting event that's happened in this city. The loudest any building has ever sounded was the atrium at Bridgestone Arena after the Colton Sisson hat trick game. I remember riding down the escalator. Me and Jason Fitz at the time were riding down the escalator. We had to do a show at 6 a.m. And it was like, we I don't think we got home until like 2.30 in the morning. And we rode down the escalator at Bridgestone. And it I could not hear. I could not. It was outside the bowl. It wasn't even inside the bowl anymore. They'd already like done the trophy stuff. And like as the trophy was kind of making its way off the, the ice and people were still staying, like it was deafening. In the atrium, it was deafening. And I don't know if it's because of the, how the glass reflects the sound or what, but it was just... Could not hear anything. So that's number one. That that goes without saying. The reason I remember game four, though, and this, I think, a lot of the reasons you said, uh, Michael, which is 
they started playing shout from animal house with like seven minutes to go in the game. And it, and it, and I've said this on the show a number of times, it turned into a frat party. It was just a total frat party. But part of the reason I wanted to show you guys that photo was I went as a, like I went on a credential to every game that series, except for game three against St. Louis. I was on a family trip with my wife. We had, we were, we had like basically a less than one year old, like a six month old daughter at the time. I had just started covering the Preds in 20 September of 16, basically the start of that year. And you, we got tickets to the game three and four, like for free from people we knew. Oh, like, wow. Like I took my parents to game three against Chicago as a fan sat lower bowl because a buddy was like, yeah, you can have these took my wife with tickets, not a credential with tickets to game four against Chicago because, and I say all that to say that it wasn't Smashville hadn't become Smashville and people in this town did not, were not sell like tickets were not that hard to get for that series. St. Right. Louis, it got a little bit harder. And then for Anaheim, everybody wanted in. <laughs> and then it was, and then of course we've seen the pictures outside the building. But that game three and four against Chicago, game four in particular, because uh, to like you said, Michael, the catharsis. Um, I I it's it's even it's strange that I do not remember with the same visceral feelings the game six win over St. Louis. I was there. I, but I don't have the same sort of visceral response to that. Uh, that's I, Braden, that's because there's belief. Maybe not by you, but there was this hope and belief it, right the, in the crowd. There was an energy of like, of course, you never really want and you're as a sports fan, right? Especially if you never want anything. If you're not a Patriot, if you're a Patriots fan, okay, fine, whatever. But and you never want anything, right? Let alone been out of the like first round or second round, right? It's there's this kind of like hesitant, like, well, I don't want to believe too much because. But Chicago shed all that. Everything else was just house money. Yeah, yeah. That's why you didn't. That's I, why it wasn't that way. It just did. Also, like the hat trick from Sissons to go to the Cup is just such a storyline. Like, and and sure, it's a big deal to win to go to the Stanley to, to the Western Conference Finals for the first time. Um, but it wasn't like their first playoff series win. It wasn't. You know, right. like there, there's, there's. It's the one that kind of gets lost, lost in the shuffle. Of course, the Fiala injury in St. Louis. I think early in that series. That's um, right. The the only other ones I wrote down from like a game standpoint um, was May seventh, twenty seventeen. Uh, sorry, that was game six. Sorry, um, the five four double overtime win over Winnipeg in game two of the following year series because they lost game one and desperately needed to bounce back, and it was overtime, and you could just feel the building like just pucker the entire game because if they go down o two, this President's Trophy season is basically over. Now, as it turns out. Pekka and the guys didn't really get the job done in game seven either, <laughs> but, but that game two, I really remember. Um, I drove in, as I told this story on the show before as well, I drove in from college uh, in 2004 for game three against Detroit, their first ever home playoff game. They won that one, I think three to one, I believe I was there for that one. I, the To me, it's Anaheim game six, Chicago game four. Stanley Cup 5-1 victory game three. So almost all these are 2017. But the other one happened just two years ago, and I think all three of us were there. Uh, and that is May 10th, 2021. Five-nothing shutout by Pecorino on his final game. Uh, that that like I'm getting the hairs on my neck are standing up right now, just thinking about the pregame introduction, the pregame salutes, the talking to his son. The, the the trip around the ice at the end, the way he played, the, the way the crowd was was reacting to his every movement throughout the course of the game, sort of knowing what it meant. Uh, that I, I would say game six, game four, and Pekka. Those would be my top three. I was not covering the team, Michael, when you uh when you alluded to the the, the Mike Fisher three overtime game that ended at 104 a.m. <laughs> the game the game did. Your work didn't. Um, but those are like the, mem those are the ones that I remember for sure. Like those three. And I don't, it's hard to find a, a bigger sports. Their first win ever was, uh, the first game ever, of course, was against Florida. We know that 98 in October, the next game is when they won their first game ever three, two against Carolina on October 13th, 1998. So I, you know, there's so many of those. Yeah. I'll give you one what really sticks out about that, that three overtime game too. Was as as Fisher's goal went in the net, 
the players on the bench tried to come over and celebrate <laughs> and half of them just fell on the ice because they had no energy left whatsoever. And if you listen to, I believe it was Brent Peterson and Pete Weber on the radio call, like they, the goal almost took them by surprise. And when it happened, like they were having trouble finding words because it, we had just basically played the equivalent of two full NHL games. And it was just, that was just a crazy moment. And I, I remember that just because of how exhausted everyone finally was when it was over, but it was a good outcome when it was over. So. I'll give you one more that was uh, that's uh, it's on ice related, obviously, but it's more of an um, it's more of a human story. And Brayden, I know you remember this. We've actually talked about this on the show before, I believe, is one of my favorite moments that I've been a part of and been blessed enough to witness was, of course, on uh, I believe it was June. I got to make sure this is right. June 3rd, 2017, when. Rena did not exactly have the best outing in Pittsburgh. The first game, I would not put all on him, but the second game, I would. And the first two games of the Stanley Cup final, they came back to Nashville 0-2. A lot of people thought, okay, you know, big Sidney Crosby and the refs are against us and this is it. And I remember the game hadn't even started. They came out for warm-ups and it was like a thunderous Pekka chant when he took the ice. simply to build him up that's all it was for and you didn't have it was no on radio campaign to do this there was no flyers handed out at the gate nothing on the jumbotron it was all organic and everyone's like this guy needs a pickup we're going to come together and chant his name during warm-ups it was i'm getting goosebumps talking about that it was such an amazing moment and it had there wasn't even a game to be played they were 30 minutes away from game time yeah, I, I I'm trying to look for the photo of that picture as well. Um, no, I uh, I, that that one was that that's on a different level just because of the gravity of it all. Like the the yeah. NH the NHL for those that don't know, the Predators run the media credentialing process and the game ops through all of the first round. You get to the second round and the NHL becomes more involved. And by the time you get to the conference finals, it is completely controlled. Yes, by the NHL, the game ops, the not not necessarily like the videos and the all the stuff that they do on the ice and on the big screen, but like just the way the, the, the event is handled, it is handled by the NHL. And at that point, there's just more people with suits around. Like it's just a bigger deal. And that Stanley cup final, I'll just, that, that is, I've been to an NBA final and a super bowl final four college football playoff games. That, that was, that's on the same level as all those things that I've had a very, very, I've been very fortunate enough um, to go to. So those are our personal favorites. And I just, I wanted to, to get those out of the way, it's hard to to put anything into that list that's not that playoff run. And and I've I'll, I'll ask you this, Gover and, and Michael, one more time because I've asked this of everybody and I've said it to Will, like Willie Donick and I have had this conversation many many times. I I don't they could win a championship, and I don't think the party on Broadway for the Stanley Cup parade would be as big as the parties that were on Broadway for the Western conference finals against Anaheim and the Stanley cup final against Pittsburgh. I don't think you can replicate that raw blue collar newness that, that was in our city. So. I I have a hard time disagreeing with that. I I think, I think you're right. I think it would be a party nonetheless. And I think it would be, Oh yeah. Yeah. It would be awesome to block off those streets again and have everybody downtown during CMA week and all that craziness. Right. Uh, But you know, and have all the celebrities out and singing anthems and on stages in the middle of lower Broadway and all this just craziness. But it wouldn't have the same energy. You're right. Because it was so, again, it was so unbelievable. It was so, is this really happening? It was so, we shouldn't be here. It was so, I mean, all the things, right? I mean, Fiala gets hurt. Johansson gets hurt. I mean, you know, yeah. Cody McLeod scoring a game-winning goal in the playoffs. I mean, everything is going Harry Bonkers. Zolnerchuk scored a game winner. Yes, Zolnerch, exactly. Vern Pontus Aberg might have scored a game winner too. Yeah, yeah. So it was just uh, everything was so in la la land, and you were just along for the ride. Whereas I think if they went back this time, yes, it would be their second time and not their first, or something to be said for that. But I think a lot of it would be like, unless it was maybe this season where like no one really has them in playoffs. But short of that, no, I, I don't. I don't think you can capture that, recapture that energy. I think it would be a party. I just don't think it would be as big of a party. Yeah, I think it's a good point, too, because that was the first time this franchise has really experienced anything like that. And now if that happens again, you you might be sitting around with your buddies like, hey, you want to go down and go to the Preds game or whatever? You're going to have people be like, oh, no, I went to the first one. and There was just too many people. I don't want to do that again. You're going to have 
those people that have already experienced it and they're like the novelty kind of wore off a little bit. That was, it happened organically. It was part of a Cinderella run, a number eight seed getting all the way to the, to the cup, to the cup final. It was, it was, you number almost 16 seed. They were the number, they were dead last number 16, number 16. Yeah. Eight in the, in the Western conference. Um, but it, they, they shouldn't have been there. That was the whole reason. That's why I think that's why there was so much that went into that and everyone made it like the biggest ordeal ever was because they weren't supposed to be there. Everyone picked against them and they somehow defied all the odds. And I think if they were to make it to a cup final again, it would be a hell of a party, like you said, but it's not going to, it's not going to top 2017. And let's not forget too. Let's not forget too, right? Nashville is not supposed to be here, right? In the, in the eyes of the hockey world, Nashville, Tennessee is an out of, it's, it's it's not a hockey market. They have no they have no frozen waters to go skate on. They're not a hockey town. There it's it's right. It's all new. It's not Montreal, Vancouver, Toronto, Minnesota. Right? It's not those places. So there that we Nashville is behind the eight ball already. So there's got to be a sense of pride too. Remember, they weren't playing the Carolina Hurricanes. They were playing the big bad Pittsburgh Penguins that have won the cup before. Crosby and Malkin are two of the best players in the world at this time. All everything was against them, and I think that has something to do with it. I think Gallagher is absolutely right. I just want to make sure people remember yeah. that Nashville was also as a franchise behind the eight ball too. What's funny is that was my first season covering the team in that that year. And the first game, of course, PK Subban makes scores a goal and does his whole deal and the place goes yep. bonkers. And I would argue because the trade happened before I got my job at, at, at the local radio station do covering the team that the only trade as a fan that I remember where I was is of course the, the trade of Shea Weber. And you learn about that, which leads directly to, I then can transition into covering the team and in game one, PK Subban scores. And in year one, they end up in the cup and this whole thing and all these memories we just talked about. The only other game, I think, playoff game wise that I would put into this category that we have not mentioned was David Leguan, empty netter, 4-2 victory over San Jose in game six at home, uh, April 24th, 2011, first ever playoff series win by the franchise. That's got to be near the top of the list for a lot of people from a memorable, like people that were there, I bet you're going, that's one of the most memorable games of, of my entire life. So wanted to throw that one in there as well. Okay. So um, I, I want to get into most memorable moments, most important things that have happened around the franchise, get you guys to discuss some stuff. Uh, but before we do that, of course, I want to tell you all about our wonderful and amazing folks at Jaspers. If you need boys, guys, I know you need this. You both have spouses. One of you has a, a has offspring. Uh, you both yep. have jobs. So I have a spouse and offspring. Here's the deal. Do you like happy hour after work, having a couple beers, maybe, a, you know, being the designated driver for your friends, whatever it may be. Do you guys like that? I enjoy being the designated driver for my family. My wife says she married me because I'm a built in designated driver. <laughs> uh, so great place to go have happy hour. And especially if you're the designated driver, bring all your friends and you park for free. Do you mm -hmm. like having biz? Do you like do you like just getting together with the spouse, uh, you know, on a work lunch sometime, perhaps? I mean, maybe not my spouse, but definitely my my guys. You know, my <laughs> podcast guys. I, I do like hanging out with you guys and with them. <laughs> I was trying to earn you some points, man. Take her. I know. I, well, take her someplace. To take her someplace decent. <laughs> <laughs> um, how about uh, brunch? How about brunch? Pre gaming for the NFL or college football on a Saturday, Sunday with some drink specials, some food specials. Like a nice brunch menu. What about that? We, we like that? Who doesn't love a good brunch? Okay. You guys are starting to get the bit here. Work with me. What about a game room? What about a, a free game room where, where in the middle of lunch, you could just pop over in middle of happy hour, middle of brunch. You just pop over, play some ski, some ski ball, play some pop a shot, some air hockey, some shuffleboard, which is my game. What about that? We like that? I you love ski ball, man. These are some very leading questions. Yeah, I like them. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of the, the bit. It's kind of the bit, Michael. Uh, well, guess what? How about a, how about when you're done with your meal, and you you know what you know what I don't want to wait around for them to deliver the dessert or like you know hey it's around uh, somebody's got a birthday and I forgot to pick up something. Clearly, Jeremy always forgets to pick up things for his wife because he doesn't even want to have lunch with her. But like what <laughs> if, what you know what, what if you had like a little market that was attached to the restaurant. With like homemade fresh cheesecakes and cookies and little little knickknacks from local shops like Thistle Farms and like these companies that are locally owned and operated in Nashville that do good work for charity. What if, what if you had one of those to pop in and grab something on the way out? What do you what, would you like you had, that? You had me a cheesecake. You had me a cheesecake. 
Have me a cheesecake. <laughs> well, guess what? All of these things. That's right. I'm glad you asked, guys. <laughs> men of men of many words, hey, Jeremy and Michael. Hey, Bra- hey Braden, where uh, where can I get these these things that you mentioned? About damn time, Gover. Somebody picked <laughs> up on this garbage. Go to Jasper's, everybody, because all of those things happen at Jasper's. You can do all of those things at Jasper's. They've got a they've got a menu that is good for everybody and every occasion. And that is why you go to Jasper's, everybody. Uh, by the way, uh, Gallagher and maybe Gover, you might be invited to this too if you play your cards right. Uh, we've had a couple of listeners ask about a fantasy league for the Gold Standard audience, and I thought, what better place to have a draft? Then it just agreed. Do you think we should be? Do you think we should do a NHL fantasy draft, fantasy league for gold standards listeners and 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 open it up for our audience? What do you think, Gallagher? I think it's a great idea. If there's people asking for it, then clearly this is something that no one else is doing. So why not us be trailblazers and do it? (laughs) No one's ever played a fantasy hockey league ever. (laughs) So so we just created it last week. All right, let's do it. (laughs) Uh, rate, review, subscribe. I will figure out a way. If you tweet at me at Braden Gall, that's right, it's tw- Twitter, as we've already discussed. If you tweet at me at Braden Gall and ask to be in the hockey league, if you make a good case, I will get you into the hockey league and we'll draft, we'll do a draft, maybe even live in person at Jasper's if, if we can. So, how about that? Uh, there you go, go to Jasper's. Okay. Um, I wanted to rattle off a few numbers here for you guys just to give you guys some, some historic stuff for the listeners. So, <laughs> Only six five-point games in franchise history have ever happened. A player got uh, five points. It's the record. I thought I could not believe we'd never had a six-point game, but whatever. Um, five-point games. Only one time in history has that happened in Nashville. Merrick Zidlicki had five assists in February of 04. The only time in history a Predators player has scored five points in a game at home. So that would be a, a home performance by somebody. Uh, three four goal games at that that have at, that have ever taken place in Predators history. Uh, Eric Nystrom in 2014, but that was in Calgary. Two of which took place at home in the same calendar year. If you remember, in 2021, Rocco Grimaldi in March of the end of that season against Detroit scored four goals. Then Forsberg came back in November and scored four goals against Columbus. That is in November of 2021. The record for goals in a game by the Nashville Predators nine. Nine goals in a game. That's happened three times in history. Uh, only one time, however, has it happened at Bridgestone Arena. That was 2006 in March against Calgary. The other two were uh, in Pittsburgh and in Toronto in 04 and 2014. Um, I'm trying to think of some other memorable moments. Uh, Pekka scored a goal. That was in Chicago. That's a memorable moment. First ever hat trick by a Nashville Predator at home. Scott Walker in December of 2000. Uh, the first ever hat trick. It was actually the second hat trick in franchise history. Uh, you also have the stadium series in Nissan Stadium that I think would be high on on the list of memorable moments. You've got the All Star Game being hosted at Bridgestone Arena uh, with the John Scott storyline uh, behind him as well. Poyle was inducted in the hall into the Hall of Fame in the JW Marriott, I believe, in Nashville. So that's correct. Uh, I think that happened here as well. So. Uh, the Vesna Trophy Award ceremony, of course, for Pekka and for the Norris Trophy for Roman Yossi did not happen in, in Nashville. But those are some like statistically prominent games and records that have taken place at Bridgestone Arena. But what do you think are the most important? Like, I, I think some of the off ice stuff, the, the all-star game, the draft, the stadium series, w- w- outside of the Preds rally, because I feel like that's probably number one. And then the 2017 Cup run. What are the most important moments in franchise history that have happened in this city and and elsewhere? I think it's I think you got it. I know it didn't happen in Nashville, but I think you got to go with the Preds being chosen to play in the Winter Classic. It was one of those kind of like we've arrived moments for the fan base. I I know that technically Dallas hosted it and it was in the Cotton Bowl and a lot of Preds fans weren't able to go to the game, but also. A lot of them did. the The amount of people that that traveled from Nashville to Dallas to go watch that game was insane. I unfortunately worked for a company that did not pay for me to go, so I was I was couch tweeting from home. But um, there was a lot of people that went. There were a lot of media members that went. That that was a huge ordeal for this fan base. Granted, they lost the game and Ryan Ellis got injured, and it, it, the day went about as bad as it could for them. But that but the fanfare that was involved in that and the amount of hype that that 
the city was buzzing about that for months and months and months. And it's still something people talk about. Like, I, I don't think I've ever seen a game where Predators fans have traveled in, in droves like they did for that game. So I think that's one that probably sticks out in my mind. Obviously, the 2016 NHL All-Star game, that was a pretty big deal, too, because that put Nashville on a national stage. I mean, you had people like Darren Drager and uh, Elliot Friedman and all and Pierre Lebrun all raving about how great Nashville was and all the, the great, wonderful things the city has to offer and stuff. And that really kind of helped establish and legitimize Nashville as a, as a hockey market. Um, so those two are probably the ones that come to my mind first. Yeah, I was going to say uh, the Winter Classic, the Invitational Winter Classic, and then getting a Stadium Series game. They those things don't happen without the 2006 without the without the All Star Weekend, right? You remember that was the first uh, All Star Weekend with three on three, and you know with the divisions three on three, and it was the first one. Uh, you know, it was the head you mentioned Braden the John Scott storyline, which is tremendous for people that don't remember. By the way, because I think you had to be in the building to remember this was they. The NHL was already pissed off that John Scott wasn't named an all-star. They thought it was a joke, right? And so in the all-star game, he's having some fun with Patrick Kane. They fake fight, you know, all the stuff. I think he scored a goal or two. Or, so, like, it was this big thing. But in the third period of the last game, or I don't know, whatever they actually held it, they put the, okay, text your vote for the MVP, and they put it on this on the, on the Jumbotron, and it was this number for this person, this number for this person. And <laughs> the fans wrote in john scott enough <laughs> of them wrote it in so they tried their desperately best to not put john scott further in the spotlight and the fans overwhelmingly with again organic right it's the best thing about nashville stuff is organically john scott gets voted mvp and it, there's like a movie made out of it all kinds of crap so but but my point is that the whole event from matt duchene getting up there with bo bryce playing guitar and the and the, and the, and the skills competition and the all-star game changing formats for the first time and the john scott thing nashville was put on the map because of the 2016 all-star weekend and because of that these other things have the other doors opened so i trace it all back to that you can go back to the 2002 draft if you really want to but the the market was so new and yes drager was probably here with kevin allen and all the all-star people were there probably for the draft well okay it's the the all-star game yeah, so, so my, my point, though, was that that was the time when everybody in the hockey world came upon Nashville and said, holy crap, look at this place. And that is what you need when you're trying to get respect. Yeah, and I think it's the All-Star game packaged, because, again, that would have happened in January, late January of 2016. Yes. So it is the dra- it is the All-Star game packaged with immediately going to the Cup the next year. And right. when you package those two things together and, and you could, in theory, you could start to include like the NFL draft and some other things that were taking place around the city that as like a destination, all the number of hotels that have come online, like w- the development of downtown, like, et cetera, et cetera. Like, like, again, if we want to go, what's the most important moment in franchise history? It is saving the Preds rally in July of 2007. That is the most important because it kept the franchise here. But I could argue a former mayor building an arena with no tenant at 501 Broadway as the address with no, no, they didn't even know it was going to be the NBA or the NHL. If you go back and mm-hmm. read, read the history of building that, putting that building where they did, they did not know if they were going to get an NHL team at all. And they put the building where they did. And can you imagine Smashville, Predators Hockey, the Cup Run, even lower Broadway as it exists today without them deciding where to put the building and saying, look, we're going to bet on downtown Nashville growing and developing into this thing that it has clearly become today. And so there's these weird kind of business decisions. But I think if you're talking like more sports oriented, I think the all-star game and then that 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 got people's eyes open. And then the cup run just took it to another level. And that's what leads to the winter classic. And it's what leads to, you know, all this other stuff. I can throw, you know, Pecorine winning the Vesna as a first time major trophy winning player in the franchise's history. I think that's a really important one. That of course was one of those that was in 2018. Yossi's Norris is different, not because it's the second, but also because it happened in September of 2020, which is not when the award ceremony normally happens. Um, so I don't know there, you know, Pecor- again, I think Pecorini scoring a goal is one of those memorable moments on the ice that people always uh, remember, but I, I think it's the Preds rally, the all-star game, 
And then the fact that the all-star game was paired with a cup run, I think turned us into a, a different commodity for the NHL and for Gary Bettman, which by the way, I think I, you guys know that I don't understand. I don't, I don't not understand it. I don't think that I think people are misguided when they boo Ryan Suter. I'm going to do an entire podcast episode about just the Ryan Suter story, because I, I think every single one of you who boo him would take the bag and, and tell your boss, Hey, I'm not, I'm coming back and then take the huge bag that's being offered you. Um, but I think the the Gary Bettman thing is so funny because like he just knows he's going to get booed by everybody, but like the Predators don't exist without Gary Bettman. Like Gary, the Predators are like Gary Bettman's baby. <laughs> just because he gets uh, lucky once, Braden doesn't mean that he deserves cheers. Sorry, I, I'm not saying he should be cheered. I'm just saying if you're talking about of the most important people that brought hockey to Nashville and wanted to see hockey succeed in Nashville, who's on? Who's near the top of the list? Gover doesn't yeah. want to say it. Gover doesn't want to admit no. it. Well, look, he, he deserves to be on the, I mean. He deserves right. to have one well, nice thing said about him. Yes. <laughs> it, and it's true that he was instrumental for sure. And that there's no, no getting around that, but you know, our founding fathers made this country and they've got some warts as well. So obviously <laughs> it's not the same, but uh, it's, I I feel bad. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, heralding Gary Bettman because I know that he's I'm, made a lot of other missteps. So I'm I'm not heralding him. I'm just saying I find it ironic that Predators fans still just love to boo him like everybody else because again yeah. he's made major mistakes as a commissioner. There's no question about that. But like I, I find it ironic that you boo instinctually hockey fans boo Gary Bettman <laughs> and and that's fair. It's valid. But he's also one of the reasons hockey is in the South and one of the reasons hockey is in Nashville. So just one of the things you taught me a long time ago, Brain, was that two things can be true simultaneously. <laughs> Both are true. Something right. else I want to I want to add in here real quick as an honorable mention outside the box uh, kind of moment. Um, I want to I want to throw out there the, the PK Subban versus Mike Milbury incident because that, that united this fan base and rallied everyone, even even cash, I don't even want to call them casual fans. Even people that just it's self-admit don't care about hockey. They were defending PK Subban because Mike Milbury is just so unanimously hated by anyone, rightfully so, because <laughs> the guy's an asshole. But the, I've never seen people that that did not know anything about the sport just blindly come to PK Subban's defense because Mike Milbury was the one antagonizing him. Yeah, I think it's hard to put, and we talked about this when we talked about David Poyle's trades. And I'm not saying that that trumps any of the other moments. I just think no, it's no, no. mentioning. No, but I think it absolutely is because, and Sean Henry will tell you this. He's told me this a million times. When they leaned into non-traditional. They they, yeah. they were like, no, we're not. We can't be Toronto. We're not going to be Boston. We can't be Detroit. We have to be Nashville. So how do we do it the way Nashville should do it? And that is in part what has led the franchise to be what it is today. And that is why the timing of the PK Subban trade. This is what I think. Again, I think the biggest move because of the risk involved for David Poyle to trade Shea Weber in the peak of his career as an all-star caliber defenseman for PK Subban at the time that he did, which would have been, I think, June of, of 2016. I think it is one of the riskiest and most important moves that have ever happened in any sports franchise in the city of Nashville. And I think it's without PK Subban, they don't make that run without PK Subban. They don't have the personality that fits Smashville. Without PK, like it's just without that move, again, I don't think people truly like it's the only hockey move in this market before I started covering the team that I know where I was when I found out that it happened. So if you're asking me about moments that impact the franchise and we're talking about the all star game six months later, actually it would have been like in the same month, I think, of the all star game, they trade for Johansson. And then the very next three months later, six months later, four, whatever, they trade for Subban. And then eight months after that, they're playing in the in the in the Stanley Cup final. And that run which of events so, changed everything. Which is so funny because before that, Ryan Johansson and Seth Jones trade, Braden, every Preds fan would have to, to a person would be like, David Poyle's afraid to make big moves. And then <laughs> eight months later, everyone's like, that's all he does is make big moves. It's like, okay, wait a second. 
So uh, look, I, just a real quick anecdote to that is I, I believe you're absolutely right. I think that is the most important move in French and franchise history, short of like drafting Rene in the eighth round of a guy nobody ever heard of, like short of that kind of stuff, like in season, uh, if you will, you know, or on the ice, I should say. Yeah, I think that's the most important move. And I will say that timing is a big deal of it because you just mentioned P.K. Subban brought a lot of casual sports fans into the hockey space that year, right? That whole season, from that first goal you mentioned of the season to his, you know, his celebration to just his vibrant personality, the media, all these things that Nashville desperately needed. And then lo and behold, he leads them to a Stanley Cup final run. It's all packaged. And now everyone one that was kind of on the coattails kind of on the fringes of like what is this all about is he cool all of a sudden he's the center stage if you will at the greatest stage and the, and the predators are now fighting for the stanley yeah. cup they're one of two teams left so it all is about timing for me all yeah. of it is and you can't script it so no you, you can't michael and i were talking about this before the show you could also make a case that the beginning of the end was less than 18 months later <laughs> sure. in November when he trades for Kyle Turris because apparently even Matt Duchesne during the All-Star game was up there thirst trapping David Poyle with his guitar licks and his, and his playing. You know, Duchesne's out there just begging for attention the whole time. He settles for Kyle Turris in November of 17 after the cup run. You could argue the trade of P.K. Subban through the cup run and then to the Turris trade that that, that was his greatest move of all time. And then his worst move of all time within an 18 month span. And that that's the move that that peaked the franchise and that that the trajectory has been downhill ever since that trade. So I will it, still argue. I will still argue anyone who listens because you, you, people aren't listening. When he came to Nashville from Ottawa in that mid-October or mid-November trade. They were very good for six weeks. Blah, the, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. The first six to eight weeks of that trade was working out quite nicely. And then something happened with Kyle Turris, whether he bought into Laviolette's system or he just hit a just hit a roadblock I'm, or I'm not whatever. I'm not, I'm not whatever talk it was. About Kyle Turris. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm just saying people forget people can call it the worst trade, but at the time it was like, well, you didn't get to shame, but you got a really great consolation prize. And the first two months or so seemed to indicate that. I can't speak to anything else after that, but I just <laughs> it, it's it's all, that's all 2020 to me. That's so all six, retrospect. So six years, 36 million dollars. We got two good months. All right, cool. <laughs> Sorry. At the time, I'm saying at the time, Braden. At the I time, know, it know. was good. Everything's hindsight. Everything's hindsight. At the Michael, time, I was the only one saying it was a bad move, and you all are blowing up my mentions. That a boy. That's true. That a boy. That's true. I remember. I remember calling him Craig Smith 2.0, and I had credit people tell me that, that I didn't know shit about hockey. So <laughs> credit works too. Go get those receipts, Gallagher. Go get those <laughs> receipts. I love it. Uh, speaking of receipts, what Gallagher? What can the good folks find at Nashville Hockey Now right now? We are starting to roll out our rookie camp and training camp previews. Got great, lots of great information on there. Uh, we're going to hopefully just go through and just analyze every little possible thing. Any, any questions you can have, top storylines, players to watch, rookies who could possibly carve out a, a role on this team, stuff like that, what to expect out of Andrew Burnett, everything you could possibly imagine. We're going to dive into or have analysis over the next couple of weeks with rookie camp starting, I believe it's next week, the 13th. There you go. Um, and if you'd like to watch Ryan Johansson thirst trap David Poyle, uh, <laughs> you can go to Michael Gallagher's Twitter account at MG Sports underscore, and you can just watch videos of Ryan Johansson because apparently you are a glutton for punishment, Michael. I, sometimes it's fun to just to stir the pot, you know, it, it's all <laughs> in good fun. But are you enjoying watching Ryan Johansson? Like, are, are you like surprised? Like, why is it that you're obsessed with Ryan Johansson training camp goals? I just think it's funny how Barry Trotz is like, he's got to have the summer of his life. And I'm, I'm not saying these two goals means he's having the summer of his life, but I, 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 I will be, I'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what kind of year he has. Cause I think Ryan Johansson is the number two center in the Colorado avalanche is capable of 20 goals and 60 points. And well, I don't know if I'd be, I don't know if I'd be saying that if he was still on this team. Well, I think obviously playing with Luke Cunning and Miko Rantanen are the same thing. So Yes, that's exactly what I said. Yes, that's some quick no, no, no. He's been surrounded by talent his whole career. Yes, Britain. No, that's what I said. I'm not saying you said that. I know. Mike, Michael. Uh, okay. Uh, National Hockey Now, of course, the website, AP Radio. Go over. Where can people find you? Yeah, AP Radio. You can follow me on the Twitter at uh, It's Gover Time. T T T I M E. And uh, I kind of wish my middle initial was T all of a sudden because it would really fit well with this little theme we got going on. But yeah, you can follow me at It's Gover Time. All my AP Radio stuff is there and all of my regular stuff. I'm really diving into the PWHL, the new Professional Women's Hockey League. Oh, very cool. Just because 
I, I, I love it. Uh, and, you know, I, I would love to see a team in Nashville. So I'm just doing my little small part to push out news as I see it. And um, hopefully one day we can we can live that dream. Well, uh, we were supposed to have a women's soccer team, but, you know, yep. shit happened. Yep. So, yep. Yep. We, didn't, happen. we didn't get it. So maybe we can solve some of those problems and get a women's hockey team. That'd be great. It'd be awesome for the market because I know two little girls in my household that would absolutely love to see a women's hockey team in this market. That is for sure. Uh, okay. Thank you guys all for listening. Of course, it is now officially Twitter. So at Braden Gall, <laughs> of course, at MG Sports underscore, at 440 Sports as well. Go to Jaspers, everybody. Please support local businesses. Uh, Jeremy, always a pleasure. Thank you for having. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, we appreciated having you. Uh, for Michael, my name is Braden. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week, everybody. This has been the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network.